Well, good afternoon and welcome everybody. It's uh, great to be together again where we take this moment to just read over again the passage that we went over in Sunday and uh, explore it a little bit further. It's great to be with you and uh, we thank you for joining in and uh, just want to remind you if you have any questions during this time, uh, throw them in the chat. We're hopefully monitoring that but even if we don't catch it live at the time, we will be able to answer them next week. Um, But this week, we're going back over Mark 11, and it's Mark 11, verse 27 to 33. And this week, I have with me, Simon gave the sermon, so he's got all the knowledge for us this afternoon. And I've got Harry, and uh, and I'm Caleb, and it's just great to be together. So this morning, what we're going to do, we're going to, afternoon, we're going to jump straight into it. Uh, Let's jump into the first part of the passage, because this one's chockers. We've had some conversations beforehand and we're going to be full with time. So let's look, let's read into this uh, passage. It starts with them re-entering the, the, the temple and it says, Again, they entered Jerusalem. As Jesus was walking through the temple area, the leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the elders came up to him. They demanded, by what authority are you doing all these things? Who gave you the right to do them? And I'll tell you by what authority I do these things if you answer one question, Jesus replied. Did John's authority to baptize come from heaven or was it merely human? Answer me. They talked it over among themselves and they said, if we say it was from heaven, he will ask why we didn't believe John. But do we dare say it was merely human? For they were afraid of what the people would do because everyone believed that John was a prophet. So they finally replied, we don't know. And Jesus responded, then I won't tell you by what authority I do these things. It is a great passage and there's so much in it. And uh, I love the aspect of authority. There's a lot of questioning. There's a rationalization in there. But uh, Simon, where do you want to start this uh, this this conversation today? Well, thanks, Caleb. So probably, uh, first of all, let's just have a little overview look at um, chapter 11 because chapter 11, you could really kind of title chapter 11, Jesus in the Temple because uh, the section that Caleb just read for us today from 27 to 33 is the third time Jesus is dealing in the temple. So it's like And it's at the time of a of a festival, right? So yeah. they they're going to go back to that central location that point. Yeah. Yep. And so so it's how is Jesus relating to um, the temple of the time, uh, the authorities of the time, um, and what is being seen as being the holy place, the place of where God resided, um, a place of worship. And so Jesus' interaction with all of this is actually really key and important. Um, It also shows us um, that Jesus is the Messiah and the chosen one, the one who is to come. So it's really, really important to keep that in mind and that as we look through all of Mark, we've been looking through the first section and the whole notion about what Mark has been trying to do has been actually talking about how um, Jesus has been showing that he is the Messiah. So it gets all the way up to the point where, where, where Peter goes, 
when Jesus asked the question, who do you say I am? He goes, you're the Messiah. So they suddenly have been following him, been going along with him and recognise, they finally recognise and go, yes, he's the Messiah. We can claim he's the Messiah. And then following that, once they've actually realised that, Jesus then starts to teach and show what it means to be the Messiah. And that's what's the, like pretty much the second half of Mark's gospel is all about. And this is what we're coming into. So but part of what we're seeing here is Jesus showing you what the Messiah is like in relation to the temple, in relation to worship, in relation to God's holy of holy kind of place. So that's and so when he comes in, riding in initially the triumphal entry passage, when he comes in and we see that um, basically the crowd recognizes him as the Messiah, but the temple priests don't. Um, and then, then we see him come back the next day and he does the action of the Messiah there, not just the riding in, but the action of the Messiah of clearing the space and going, this is a house of prayer, not a house of commerce, not a house of all of these things. And so that really then upsets the, the, the temple priests and authorities because he's challenged them completely about how they've been behaving in this space. And, and, and Kerry gave a great message on that and a really key one is that where they were doing that trading was not in the men's court or the women's court but it was in the court of the Gentiles. So so the people outside of necessarily the Jewish culture were being restricted. And so it was actually really important to say Jesus is coming and going, this is actually a house of prayer for everybody, not just for you chosen to and do all of these things. Um, So... When he comes in the third time, and I, I kind of you sit back and you think, once you read the, the the Bible this way, you start to go, "Hang on, I reckon those priests and the the, the people looking after the temple would have seen him coming and going, oh man, we've got to do something about this." <laughs> it's kind of third time's the charm. <laughs> like he's back again, and it's like he keeps on creating, you know, these issues for us. Um, and so, and so, what they do is they challenge him with, "What does it? How come you are doing this? By what authority do you have to do this?" So, so, which is actually a really good question. Um, and if you think about it, it's a, it's a fantastic question to actually kind of delve into because um, it actually asks the whole nature of who is Jesus. Now, that question actually is, you know, who is Jesus? By what authority do you come and do this? By what authority are you healing people? By, and that's been a question that's been coming through uh, consistently because I want to know how come you can do this? And it's a very prominent question for us too because I think we have this perspective where we kind of actually take to a degree the elements of Jesus to I know him to this far I haven't read the part about the part where he rips apart my uh, selfishness or, you know, like, or I I feel uncomfortable with this bit. So I don't let him be that part of Jesus in my life. But to what authority do you fully give Jesus completely in your life? I mean, and and that's that's the whole thing about authority, isn't it? Um, And if we start, you know, let's have a chat about authority. I think that would probably be a good place to... It's a nice spot. It's a nice spot because it is actually questioning Jesus' authority and then Jesus um, then actually... And the whole thing, he questions back to them uh, about his authority and we'll talk about the, the 
why we question and all those kind of things in a moment. But authority, you know, it, it seems um, you would think that Jesus would have authority. If you, if you, if you think that Jesus is the son of God um, and, and you know that and you're taking that on board for yourself, you would think that he would have authority over all things. But for many of us in this situation, that's not necessarily the case. We go, well, Jesus has authority over me on Sunday morning for an hour, you know, for, for many people, if you're coming to church and that's it. Or Jesus has authority over me for this little moment of the time or when I'm having my prayer time. But when I go out and do other things, um, I do whatever and I don't let it actually. Or even if I just need him all of a sudden and then it's just in that time, I'll let him have some authority so that he gets me out of the mess. <laughs> Yeah. Using him when he's convenient and not when he's actually like, you know, making the center of your life. It's like, oh, I need him now, so I'm going to use him. But then when it's a little bit inconvenient and it's like against what I really want to do, I'll push him to the side. But then Sunday morning, I'll bring him back in to make myself feel better. And then, you know, Monday again, it's like, oh, work's busy. Jesus can wait till it's the next Sunday. <laughs> yeah, that is exactly right. And, and it, you know, this would have been so different if Jesus came in instead of upturning the tables, going, "You guys are doing fantastic," and, and you know, and it would have been, "Oh, well, you, this man has got perfect authority because you know we love authority when it agrees with us. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, we we love authority when it lifts us up, isn't it? So, so when we authority challenges us, um, then that's when we have issues about it." And I think what it also highlights is actually the fact that when you have that sort of lifestyle with Jesus, you're still the God of your world. It's not actually that Jesus is the God of your world. It's not Father, Son, Spirit that is your God that you direct and let your life live by. But it's actually, I still want control. These things I know help me, but I want that control. I want to be the focus of my life. I want to be whatever it is. And it's actually that's some sort of part that's you, you've not let go completely or found the passion to why you follow Jesus in that way. So let, let me ask a question. What areas of authority do you have in your lives? The, the speeding signs. <laughs> <laughs> so, you, you've got the authority to change them or to obey them. What, no, no, they they have authority oh, they over have authority me. Over, okay, <laughs> good, good. But no, I actually want to go. What, what what places do you have authority? So you have rule over something. Well, I think Jesus and God have given us free will. So, in all honesty, we have authority over most aspects of our lives. Like we can choose what we do with our days, what we eat, what we do for activities where we work, what we study, all that stuff. So we do have a lot of authority, but I guess it's just, you know, what degrees of authority do you have in certain aspects? Like, I think, yeah, if you think of it in another term, it's where have you been elevated to positions of responsibility? And um, so if I think about that, well, I'm responsible for my home. You know, like in my place, there's a degree and people when they come over, they treat it with respect because that's your area. Uh, in the same way in your workplace, like you mentioned, Harry, um, especially if you've got employer, employees, then you actually have a degree of authority because they have to listen to you because you're the boss. Or uh, say, uh, even in, you might be in social circumstances, uh, respected in different fields. Say if you're a captain of a sports team or just well highly regarded, or if you're a coach in a different way, um, maybe you're a tennis coach or something, or if you've got something like that role, there's an 
element of responsibility and you've been promoted to that level of authority. So actually there are different ways that you can have some authority. Yeah. So, so interestingly, sitting here today, we're actually exercising a sense of authority because we're, we're sitting here and going, well, we're reading the Bible here and we're giving information based off a sense that we have some authority to be able to do that, which is a really interesting thing. So um, what, where do we actually get that authority from is a, is a really good question. So um, some of us has done Bible study and degrees within that space. All three of us actually here. Yeah. yeah. So, so that a lot different levels. <laughs> <laughs> but, but see, you, you've done that that work. So you've actually put in the effort and people have recognised that you've achieved a certain level of understanding based off years of tradition. Um, it's inter- Let me just give you a little um, sideline kind of thing about authority within the church. Um, not that I dress up and act in a particular um, manner about being like a reverend, all those kind of things and ordained, all that kind of stuff. And I never hold that above and beyond anything else. So um, I always hold that loosely. But there's a sense that the church has gone, we see something in you. Um, we see a call of God upon your life. And so we are going to place authority upon you for you to exercise this ministry um, in, in, out into the world and within churches. So it's, it's, it's a little different to um, workplace stuff, but it's very similar. Um, and if we actually go back into Old Testament, it's, it's like having a, a, um, Elijah and Elisha and the, the, handing over the mantle of the prophet. So the power of the prophet went and the... the the, the words of the prophet went from one to the other. They handed it across, put it on their shoulders and said, you are now the prophet. It's, it's very similar with what we've got going on here. So we have a sense of authority in all of this space as we look into these passages. And the third place that I reckon the authority comes from is also from you guys. Uh, the trust that you in give to us to actually correctly communicate and interpret the Bible and its lessons and what's said is actually a major part to why there's a level to why we can do this because without that, then we're talking to no one as well. So there's that element of trust, which yeah. is… They trust us to not come up here and just talk porridge. They're like, oh, these guys kind of know a little bit what they're talking about, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Probably even worse than porridge. <laughs> porridge is okay, but the, the thing that um, we need to be very careful of is not to do heresy, which is actually false teaching and say something is not what it is. So that's actually a really important aspect of that. And so there is a sense of, of, of privilege um, in that position to be able to do that and authority to be able to say that. Um, and I know and I try not to have this as part of what it is, but often with um, churches is that people will wait until the minister says what needs to happen and then they go, oh, yeah, that's what we're going to do. You know? but so it's really because that's actually the mantle, that's actually the authority that's been placed from the people onto a person to lead them. Um, and so... The question here about Jesus and authority is really important because it's well, where do you teach from? 
this is not the same things that we've been teaching, so where do you teach from? It, it's, you know, it, it's not contrary to what the Old Testament has been saying, but it's that new way of looking at it and expression of what it means to actually follow God. That's what Jesus was showing us. So they're questioning that authority, where that's coming from. That's really big. Um, and then how dare you upturn our rituals and what we've got, where's your authority for that? And, and, and like three weeks ago when we talked about Jesus cursing the fig tree, we talked about him following in a prophetic way, of doing something in a prophetic way. This is also the upturning of the tables. So if you think about prophets, they were all about shock and awe uh, and they wanted people to hear the message and change their behaviour because they were correction. walking away from yeah. God. It was correction. And prophecy was very little to do about with you're doing a great job, more about you uh, walking away from God, change your behaviour. And even very little about this is the future that's to happen. It was actually calling them out, bringing them back in yep. line with God. Yeah. So, so what, you know, with risk of doing heresy, one of the best uh, examples of prophets is if you actually go and look in um, Monty Python, Life of Brian, and they've got these, these um, people just going, whoa, you know, the beast with it and all that, you know, shock and awe kind of stuff. The clothes they wore, the things they said, the imageries they used were all to get people to stop, listen and, and take note. Now, in a, in a world where we live in quite differently um, on internet and everything else, we, we talk instead about the sh that shock and awe as about stopping the scroll. So people just want to flick through and it's just so much information. Uh, we want them to stop and listen to what's going on. So, so the question about how come you can do all of these things, where's it come from, is really important for for all of us to work. Absolutely. And I think there's a massive part too. We've talked a lot about like internal church stuff, but in your world also, because not everyone works in the church and there's, there's a few of us that have the privilege to be able to do that, but we're all called in an aspect to have the authority in our lives where we're displaying the light of Jesus in our world. And so this is a major question too, as we start to say, where did Jesus get his and his coming from where we know now God, actually that's the same authority and your responsibility in your own independent individual world is that aspect where you're there, you have the authority to be able to talk about God in your world, to be able to call someone out if you know they're just doing a really bad thing, although that may lose you a friend, but bringing them into that space where hopefully you can actually introduce them to that same way that you know is a better way of living. So, yeah, it's that authority and responsibility for, for other people's lives and, and actions and behaviours. Fantastic. And if we continue to look further on in the next couple of chapters, potentially even future lives and eternity, you know. <laughs> so we'll get to that later though. Big stuff happening in Mark's Gospel. <laughs> Stay tuned. There's big sermons coming. So, um, Harry, I know one of the things that, uh, that you picked up on out of the message that was when, when we looked at, um, so we've been looking at the words, the ways and the works of Jesus Christ and, and one of the things is the ways, um, what he did, how he yeah. talked and, and the things he did um, and, and you said to me just before we jumped on and had a look, the, the thing that struck you was the style of rabbinic questioning. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was like very interesting how obviously you went over this in the talk a lot but how he didn't just straight up go, my authority is from God, I'm his son, stop questioning my authority because you're basically jealous of me and you don't like that I'm coming in here and saying that what you're doing 
isn't correct, which is probably why they were questioning his authority because they were, you know, not happy that he was like saying that they weren't the doing it the best way. But he just goes like, you know, spins it around and as you were saying before, uses that rabbitic questioning and comes back at them and goes, you can answer this yourself if you think deep enough, like, you know, that type of stylist response. It is. And I think the thing is that the authorities didn't want to engage with the question. And here's the thing, you know, they wanted a question in order to trap. And when Jesus reframed it with a question back to them, uh, it, it then became, well, we can't answer that otherwise we incriminate ourselves. So, you know, it's like, it's like uh, on a, I'm not going to answer that question on the grounds it may incriminate me. So it's kind of, you know, going back into legal kind of case kind of stuff like that, that's the, their response. But it was, a, it was a way, it was a pattern of uh, question and answer that went on uh, at that time it, with rabbis but also it wasn't just a Jewish way of questioning. It was, a, it was um, like a Greek philosophy way of questioning. It, it wasn't just about um, imparting knowledge. So here's question, I answer. And we, we've grown up in a world, and it's, you know, I'll talk about me specifically. I've grown up in a world where um, the thing about is there's a question, you can always find an answer to it. Uh, and if you don't have the answer, you can look it up, you can find it, you can, you can work towards having an answer. It's about having an answer. So it's, it, it becomes a very black and white world, you know, question, answer kind of thing. Whereas what I'm learning um, through my years is that there's not always good answers, that it's sometimes better to seek the question and work within that question than necessarily try and get that answer. So, and it, it comes into the way we talk with people. Just before we came on air today, we were just having a chat between the difference between what is, what you can call as rabbinic questioning um, and apologetics. Uh, so, Often apologetics is somebody will ask you a question about faith um, and, and you are there to provide the answer for them, to give them the correct answer and that's all well and good, that's important but you're st- what happens is you can often end up in backwards and forwards arguments about what is right and what is wrong and, the, and then, then you get into the whole relative argument and your truth is fine for you but my truth's fine for me, all that kind of stuff. But when you start into a question and, you know, there's a question and then you respond back with, well, here's another question for you to think about and it's about them. So notice that Jesus' question was about um, their understanding of John's baptism. So it wasn't a it wasn't a point of law. It wasn't a point of um, uh, theology or anything like that. It was a point about what did they believe about John's baptism. So it p- pulled it back from theoretical, from just up there into personal stuff, and that's really important for us when we start to have conversations with people. It's about how do we have questions that become personal. Um, 
Hmm. And the big thing about this, and we think like where we push into in discipleship and stuff, we just, this rabbinic style, it actually pushes into the core. It actually gets to the point of what are you wrestling with? What's your, the thing you're trying to bring up? And it doesn't necessarily just get, I can resolve or unresolve something because I agree or don't agree. It's actually making them explore what's actually the issue that's creating the turmoil in them. And so such as this case here, Jesus is just exploiting the fact that they have an issue with his authority, you know, and it's like they know, because we read further on, they have that conversation. They know where John comes from. They know what the people think about John. And so they know what they should be answering Jesus. And it's because they don't choose to, they have that issue. And so the big deal is, and why I think this is really beneficial for us in discipleship is say we're struggling to get to that point where we say to our, our friend, our person of peace is the language we use. Uh, let's read the Bible together because together we really have been looking to read with someone. Um, we get to that point and they're like, there's a, they may have that underlying issue. Oh, well, I don't feel like reading it right now. Well, why aren't you feeling like reading it right now? And then they might bring up something and you can have that whole conversation and eventually you get to that point where they might start to surface it for you, you know. And so this whole thing of que- answering questions with questions is really great because hopefully it will help us be able to uh, get to that point where we can come to that place with those people in our lives that are actually interested in faith. Yeah, like, I don't know, in my life especially, I've found that when people ask questions, a lot of the time they expect one answer from you. And as you were saying before, a lot of the time they expect the answer. And if you don't give them that answer, they can become very argumentative. But if you do do it this way, especially when you've got your people of, um, sorry, your pops. <laughs> we call them pops in our group. People of peace. <laughs> people of peace. Um, you have your pops and you're like trying to really connect with them and disciple them. You sort of really want to avoid that whole argument side of my views are not exactly the same as yours. You want them to explore their own views and do their own learning. And that way, when they do go into the Bible and do their own learning, they go, oh, and they actually get a deeper connection of it and it's less of just a, oh, Harry or Caleb said this, so it must be right, or I don't agree with him and that's what he said. So it ends up being a conflict and it's more of an actual deeper knowledge and they learn for themselves and less of a blah, blah said this and I don't agree or I do agree. Mm, And that's great because I think in that moment, it's actually also catering and facilitating space for the Holy Spirit to move in that person. It's allowing them to be uncomfortable in what they have to rationalize or come around to. That's that's actually such a profound point that you're making there because people coming to faith, it's not about them getting the right answer from somebody else. It's about them understanding who... God is who Jesus Christ is. So it, it um, so the questions they explore are actually super important for understanding for, for their own understanding. So it's not about oh well, I read from such and such, and I read from such and such. Um, what you find is when people have faith that's based on other people's ideas, it becomes very fleeting. And somebody that has questioned and gone through and worked through and wrestled and, and, and really just come to the point of knowing who Jesus Christ is for them is such a deep faith. So that's such an important thing about not pushing your answers on but allowing them to explore the questions. It's so great. Yeah, because you don't want them to just become mirrors of you and your beliefs. Like when you push them in, they actually get to read and get that, you know, individual connection with God and with the Bible and 
build that own faith of themselves and go like, you know, answer the question themselves. They might not even come up with the same answer that you have, but at least they've gone in and explored and gone, oh, I've grown my faith in this way and through reading or through my research and all these, you know, scholars or yep. sermons, I've come up with this answer and this is what I believe. And you go, well, that Which is not to say that the scholars and the reading and everything isn't important. That you, you do that in conjunction with the questions and stuff. So that's that's really important to do. But it's but it's not to base your faith on somebody else's understanding. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's so important. And that's what we say all the time in our groups: is it's not to create followers of yourself; it's to create followers of Jesus, yep. and to get people like that. But it really, I think, for me, it highlights it. it this isn't necessarily written as such, but it's definitely a position of the Pharisees here, and it's all about their revelation of who Jesus is, because we were saying this a couple of weeks back in a deep dive, the revelation of who Jesus is to them so far is this teacher that's teaching some good things, ripping up some rituals and like recorrecting a few things, which is annoying, but they're still pre-crucifixion. They still haven't had the opportunity to engage with the Holy Spirit. And what it highlights to me is this real wrestle with who God is and actually how they interact with that. And, you know, this isn't an uncommon theme in the Bible either. You, you see it with um, Jacob, you know, and, and how he gets his name changed to Israel, gets struck in the hip when he's wrestling with God. Or you see it with David in the Psalms or any of the other Psalm writers and how they're wrestling with God. Why have you forsaken me? Like, well, well, but I'll trust you anyway. You know, you see it here with the Pharisees and even in some just discourses, you know, uh, and it brings this, it highlights to me this real uh, position of how do we wrestle healthily with God? Because this one you may say isn't done as well, say the psalmist, but it isn't done in the same way as uh, Jacob either. And so I want to throw that question, how do we wrestle healthily with God? I, th I think the thing is, not to be afraid to ask the questions. That's probably, you know, what we take out of the the passage here that we've had that helps us understand that question is that Jesus wasn't afraid of the question. Jesus actually didn't try to avoid the question. Jesus wanted you to, the, the, the people asking the question, to get some understanding of what it means. Um, but never be afraid to ask a question. Because in asking that question and, and, and real, real deep, meaningful questions about faith, about who is Jesus, what, what has Jesus done, what does this mean for my life, you know, all those kind of really wrestling. So, um, and, you know, for, for us, it, it, it can be about wrestling about whether to choose to come to faith. It can be wrestling about what it means for our career, where that might go based on saying yes to Jesus and whether we're in the right space or not. And, and, and it might be wrestling. And, and the answer might be, yes, you are in the right place. Keep on going. It, it's not always change course, but it's actually having that, that moment to go, yes, I need to do this. I need to really spend some time and ask those questions and seek from God for that. So the, the wrestling is... There's something that's deep inside of you, something that's, that's not sitting comfortably and you want to actually get more into, to, to understand that between you and God in that space. So. Yeah, I really love that point about 
don't be afraid to ask questions because, you know, there's no stupid questions sort of thing with God. Like we approach it and, and to add on to that next point, I'd probably say when you're wrestling with God, you always got to remember that aspect of humility. You know, it's okay to bring those questions to God. It's okay to bring that struggle or whatever it is that you're rest, like having a hardship with. But at the end of the day, in all of the wrestling that you're doing, you got to remember God's God and you're still just a human, you know. We're still just one of his creations at the end of the day. That doesn't mean he doesn't care any less for us. But we also won't hear the answer that God gives us if we don't have that humility. We won't hear where... Uh, whether it's the right spot or we need to change course if we don't have that level of humility when we're approaching it. And that's why I love the Psalms is even through it all, it's like at the end of the day, your plans are better than mine. I submit to you. Uh, and, and I don't, it might even be you don't get to the point where it's uh, still not confirmed for you what you actually got to do, but you just submit to that God will use what it is maybe even, or you may still not have that clarity, but. What do you think, Harry? Oh, I think it comes back to that whole wrestling with God's kind of important. I think everyone needs that, whether it's a major wrestle, whether it's do I keep pursuing this faith or throw it away. But I think it's really important because it does grow it and it strengthens it. Like, you know, you see those professional wrestlers, all of them are really muscly and big because they've done it their whole life. And I think that's the same with your faith. Like if you keep wrestling and you keep doing it, you grow, you grow bigger and it grows stronger. And if you don't wrestle with God or any of these big decisions, the second a small hiccup comes along, it's a lot easier to just go, oh, it's too hard, I'm going to throw away. Like it, you need that strength, you need that experience of going, hey, sometimes it's not the easiest, sometimes it's a little bit hard, but I can get through it because we've done it before in the past to sustain it and sustenance is what you kind of need across your life in a Christian faith because we never promised it to be easy. It was actually kind of told us it's not going to be the hard, easiest. But And I think particularly in that it's beautiful how God set us up in community for this way because especially in issues like theological understanding, or uh, in personal issues, you might need that support and like encouragement to be able to wrestle with God in it. It's vital to be around people you trust, that uh, around people that you can actually be honest with and that can correct you even if you're going down the wrong way of wrestling. You know, you might start wrestling dirty or something, <laughs> but just to pull you back in line with that aspect and um, be able to do that right. Yeah. Yeah. Keep you accountable. Make sure that you actually, as you said, are wrestling in a sensible way and going, hey, you know, getting your sources from the right, sorry, information from the right sources and diving into the right places and not just scrolling through Facebook and looking at the first thing you see and taking that off, you know what I mean? Like you have those people like a Bible study or a church group that sit there and go, hey, if you're really wrestling with this topic, you should talk to this person because he knows about it and this person, you should read this Bible verse. And, you know, doing it with community instead of doing it by yourself. It's great. It's great. Simon, any last thoughts before we wrap up? Oh, well, I, um, no particular extra thoughts. I just, I've just been thankful that we've been able to have this conversation and get to, to delve into the Bible a little more. Um, how about I just wrap up with prayer? That'd be great. That's a, a, what I was thinking too, so that'd be good. <laughs> Best way to finish these. Okay, fantastic. Let's just pray together. A gracious, loving God, we just uh, we give you thanks that you always give us um, the word found in the Bible here. And your word is good for us. 
It challenges us. It draws us close to you. It helps us understand. And Lord, today we just pray for those people who may have questions, uh, questions about their own life, questions about you and who you are. And Lord, we just pray that, that there will be people who will help them through those questions to come and understand the authority of Jesus Christ upon our lives. Lord, we just pray this in the power of Jesus' name. Amen. And probably the, the final point that I wanted to make, so just pray, but just was that Jesus is the ultimate authority. And you, you just come back into that. I mean, if we're in Matthew 28, it says, all authority on heaven and earth have been given to me. So go forth there and make disciples. So that's actually a, an ascription of authority of who Jesus is for all of this. So. Yeah. So good. Thank you, everyone. And thank you, Simon. And thank you, Harry, for this conversation. It's been a great conversation. Thanks so much for having me. Well, but get you back. Don't you worry. But uh, it's great that we could have this time together. Thanks again. If you're watching this after the live and you're watching it on the record, please throw through questions or thoughts because we love to be able to follow up and be able to help clarify things. Uh, We love to be able to engage with you in that way. So please do that. Subscribe to the YouTube if you haven't already. Get that sneaky tag in. No, but um, it's great. We really love the support and we thank you for it. Um, And we'll catch you next week. Thanks very much. Thank you.